0: Welcome to the One Giant Podcast. Along with Andy Makowitz, I'm Adam Arnbrecht, coming to you once again with all things New York football giants. And as we take a look back at a division matchup with the Redskins this past weekend, and also ahead to what should be a very good gauge for this football team against the Minnesota Vikings next week, I'm just trying to survive, Andy. I'm currently finding myself in a... A bit of a hovel, surrounded by mattresses, blankets, and pillows in Bali. Sweating it out, just trying to get this podcast going.
1: I mean, I guess it could be worse places that you have to hunker down than than in Bali, right?
0: Well, once I get outside of this, 100%. But let's not get bogged down in that. Let's get this thing started. One giant benching. We look back at this Redskins matchup. If anyone's following us on social media, we were maybe a little bit off in terms of where we thought Daniel Jones was going to go. We'll get into that. But we both saw a win coming for the for the Giants against the Redskins. What are your early takeaways from that game? You know, it feels good to kind
1: of feel what the Patriots feel for the last 15 or 20 years. Right, Adam? <laughs> I, think, I think you and I were texting during the first quarter, maybe into, into the second quarter of the game. And... I, I don't know. It, it feels it feels like winning is normal. And halfway through that game, I expected to win that
0: game. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think you know we talked about it last week when when you looked at where the Redskins are as as a franchise right now and where they were ranking offensively and defensively. All of the excitement and positive energy we have around Daniel Jones taking over and, and re energizing this team. I, I think you anticipated that this would be a game the Giants controlled from an early standpoint, and then maybe at some point it was about running out the clock. Now, that being said, the the running out of the clock actually came a lot quicker than we thought, right? That opening drive, they really get off to a fast start. Wayne Gallman does a great job filling in for Saquon Barkley in this game. Give me your rundown on that that first drive and maybe just how the offense was looking early in this one.
1: Well, Adam, before we even get into the Giants' drive, let's talk about the first drive of the game by, by the Redskins. Case Keenum, we talked about it before, you know, five turnovers in the game against the Bears. He he started off very shaky with an interception right away. Denor, Janoris Jenkins in the first quarter deflected a pass, um, and rookie Ryan Connolly, who we talked about a little bit last week and, and how much we liked him, was able to, to force the interception a minute into the game, and... You know, I, I clapped my hands and I said, this is a great start <laughs> to the game. And, uh, you know, we were able to continue the momentum. Uh, I think the biggest play of the first Giant drive was actually Jay Gruden accepting a holding penalty against the Giants on third down. Uh, they were at the 29-yard line. And instead of uh, forcing a fourth down, he pushed him back 10 yards, presumably to push him out of field goal range. Uh, the Giants picked up uh, a bulk of it and then went for it on uh, fourth and about two, I think. And that really changed it. The Giants went down and scored on a Wayne Gallman touchdown uh, a couple of plays later. And Daniel Jones looked poised. He, he looked like he was looking at his first uh, option, his second option. Looked like Wayne Gallman out of the backfield was actually his third option. And looking off some of the safeties and even the linebackers, you know, he, he kind of walked it in the end zone. What, what were your thoughts?
0: Yeah. Well, and obviously I said it at the top of the show, the heat is getting to me because I'm jumping right past the big defensive play and, and diving into the offensive series. But you're right. It's a great job from the defense starting out what we anticipated from Case Keenum. And then offensively, same thing. I'm on the same page with you there. It really felt like Daniel Jones was working through his progressions, making the right reads. Again, this will be two weeks in a row where I felt Sterling Shepard is just continuing to grow into what feels like a true number one for this offense, and I was I wasn't surprised in the sense that a lot of leading up to this they said Pat Shermer loves a bell cow back right, and it's not just because he has Saquon Barkley that that's his philosophy. He really feels that way across the board. So even though I kind of wondered if would Penny be involved more in terms of passing down plays and maybe trying to get him out of the backfield because he's perceived as being a better pass catching uh, back than Gallman is. Listen, they went to Gallman early in this one. They leaned on him heavy and obviously, you know, caps off with that great little, little swing pass out to him, scooting into the end zone. So, it, it was an impressive. We talked about this last week, right? Scripted plays. That first drive. How do you want the offense to go? And for all intents and purposes, I think Shermer had to walk away from that feeling. Fantastic that they were able to get out to that early lead against a team again that you want to beat up on, right? The Giants had a great start,
1: up seven nothing. Case Keenum getting the ball back, playing from behind, and Adam. It was a disaster for Case Keenum. He was six of eleven for 37 yards, averaging 3.4 yards a throw before Jay Gruden put him out of his misery. And I think any Giants fan that was watching that game thought, if we were going to get four quarters of Case Keenum, there may be five, six, seven turnovers, and I wasn't sure if they were going to be able to move the ball past midfield.
0: Yeah, and you know what's interesting, too, and this is a little bit of of a league perspective as well, I mean, Case Keenum obviously does not perform well in this game, but anytime you're a quarterback who has the perceived franchise player behind you, I mean, Eli Manning played well at the start of the season, right? He wasn't the reason the Giants were losing those games, but there's still the sense of pressure to be doing something effective every time you have the ball. Because you know the team, the organization, is is ready to turn the page to someone behind you. I don't know how much that weighs into Case Keenum or if it's just matter-of-factly that Redskins have a bad offensive line and he's not that accurate and, you know, he functions well on a really good team. He doesn't function so well on on a below-average team. But I always wonder about that psyche of a quarterback knowing that you are one bad series away from them saying, all right, ready to turn the page to the next guy. Does that... Does that line up with you at all? Or is it for, especially for this one, Case Keenum, do you think it's just, yeah, Case Keenum's, I guess, a bad quarterback?
1: It does line up for me. I think Case Keenum caught lightning in the bottle with the Minnesota Vikings. And before that and after that, he's been a very, you know, service level replacement type quarterback. And while he may not have been the number one reason why the team is struggling, like you said, with Eli Manning and Daniel Jones, we're not winning with the current formula, so we need to try to mix things up. And Case Keenum, unfortunately, was the one that had to fall on the sword uh, in this one. You know, the Washington Redskin rushing uh, tandem of Adrian Peterson and Chris Thompson couldn't muster anything. Uh, they had 15 carries for 32 yards. So the Giants were making the Redskins very one-dimensional, and kind of leaving it in the hands of Case Keenum, who wasn't getting it done, who has been turnover prone the last few games. It was only right for them to at least test out and see what they had in Dwayne Haskins. But uh, unfortunately, as as Jay Gruden foreshadowed last uh, the last week or so, talking about how Dwayne Haskins would only start when the season was completely out of reach, I think we've reached that point in about the second quarter.
0: They turned it over to Dwayne Haskins, and this isn't a referendum on on his career, right? What I think it is, is he's a guy who played one year in college, comes in, has to learn a pro system, and is just going to need time to develop. He's not going to be a high success level early starting quarterback in my eyes, because I think he's just going to have growing pains. And again, it also goes back to the fact that you are talking about starting on a team that isn't really that good. How did you feel first about Haskins, if you have any little footnotes about him? And then how did you look at our defense as we switch over to the other side of the ball and what they were able to accomplish against this Redskins offense?
1: Dwayne Haskins had a 26.1 quarterback rating, which was only slightly better (laughs) than Case Keenum's 10.7. So, you know, statistically, he performed a little bit better than Case did. But look, he's a rookie quarterback coming in in the middle of a game, doesn't even get the full week uh, in first team uh, reps in preparation to be the starter. You know, he throws three picks. It's it's a learning process. But what I will say is the stark difference between what Daniel Jones looked like and what Dwayne Haskins looked like, Dave Gettleman must be smiling right now saying we drafted the guy that we thought was – the the most NFL ready quarterback and he certainly looked the part. I mean, he looked like a three or four year, uh, you know, veteran rather than a guy playing in his second start, as opposed to Dwayne Haskins, who looked like a deer in headlights,
0: for sure. And I and you know, I don't want to worry too much about being able to about to puff your chest out about the draft, you know, and making the right pick. But I, I do think when it comes to Daniel Jones, this is. Uh, an area where so many people were knocking the Giants so hard, not just for taking them, but where they took them. You know, this is a quarterback you t- you can take in the second round. And there, I think the early returns on him are certainly vindication and it didn't hurt right to have it be that then you also get to play the quarterback that other people thought maybe you should have taken at six or waited and taken at a later point in the first round and to have him look like he said, a kid that's going to need time to develop. So I, I feel good. Listen, Ultimately, I feel good that we have Daniel Jones, right? I'm not concerned about Dwayne Haskins from that standpoint. Before we get into the defense, who I think really showed some big positive steps forward, and then, of course, there's some, there's some negative things in terms of, it, of injuries to talk about. But early in this game, you know, you had it at, I think, a 31-21 victory for the Giants. I was looking at 31-17, so we know the defense plays really well, right? They get to 24 points, but after Daniel Jones throws that first interception— where, and it's a good play from the defense. And then they come back that next drive, and he throws that interception. Clearly, the Giants, Pat Shermer made a decision, right? We're going to rein this thing in. Redskins aren't going to move the ball against us. We're going to be able to control this game. Let's go ahead and, and just you know, kind of bunker down, ride this one out, and let's get that victory. Daniel Jones is a rookie, right? You saw a couple of rookie mistakes, and it looks like they wanted to protect him from maybe having one of those oh boy, four interception, five interception kind of days just because he's on a learning curve.
1: Absolutely. And there were some other plays that were kind of left out on the field. You know, right before the half, they're they're basically at the goal line and had to settle for a field goal, uh, which could have very easily been seven points. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we're down inside the red zone, and we had Hillman fumble. I think it was at the Washington five-yard line. So there were opportunities for the Giants to prove us right and get to that 31 uh, line. But I think we talked about this before uh, a little bit offline. That it seemed like the Giants were in cruise control, and it, it felt very anticlimactic to me. I was confident the Giants were going to win, and I sat there thinking, you know, nothing that Dwayne Hastings is going to do is going to change the outcome of this game.
0: Yeah, and when you're a guy like myself who, if people aren't aware, it's a 12-hour ahead uh, time shift if you're in Bali, as I happen to be right now. So I started watching that game at 1 o'clock in the morning. It finishes up, you know, I think right around 4 a.m. And to your point, towards the end of that one, I'm just like, I can't not watch because I'm a Giants fan. I want to see this one out. But also, come on, guys, let's just – Punch the clock on this thing and everyone gets to go home. So, a hundred percent happy to get out on this one. I also had sent you an email regarding Hilliman. I, I was big on him. I, I still actually like him a lot. And this is just a footnote about about the offense. I, I think he can still be a, a serviceable player while uh, Saquon Barkley is out. But I was just so I was so disappointed for him to have that fumble there because. Gallman had been moving the ball so well. He comes and he gets an opportunity. The end of his stat line is ten for thirty-three, which is nothing to write home about. But you know, if he can hold on to that ball there and maybe gets one more run and gets to get a touchdown, I think for a young undrafted rookie like him who gets called up from the practice squad, I was really just fingers crossed, hoping that he he could get that because it was just a really good story. And that's I'm I'm a homer for those kind of things.
1: While Saquon is trending in the right direction, it's going to be Wayne Gallman. And Jonathan Hillman for the foreseeable future, and having yeah. having a rookie, you know, a, a local guy uh, who went to Rutgers, I, we want to see him do well. We want to see him get that confidence early on. And and while I think that fumble was unfortunate, I don't see it hopefully being something that lingers too much. And um, overall, you know, when we talk about the offense, Daniel Jones had those two interceptions. He he's been turning the ball over a little bit more uh, than I would like. Mm-hmm. He was spreading it out to different people like Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, Wayne Gallman out of the backfield. And overall, I think that the offense played well, and, and I think we've given them their kudos, and it's time to turn it over to the defense.
0: Yeah, 100%. I, I I can speak glowingly when you win a 24-3 game. Just It feels good to just talk about the offensive side of the ball. But obviously on defense, we're doing some things really well. Right out the gate, you brought me back in line with it. Jenkins gets that tip. The young linebacker, Connolly comes up with his second interception of his young career. And it, it, you could just tell early on, right, the tone was getting set that this was going to be the kind of game, whether it was Case Keenan or you brought in Haskins, not a lot was happening for this Redskins offense. The Giants were able to get a ton of
1: pressure because that Redskin offensive line is abysmal. We thought we had issues the last couple of years with our offensive line. <laughs> Their offensive line is not much better. I got to tell you. And, you know, according to and shout out to pro football focus, they basically said the Giants blitzed only five times in the game. So that wow. means that our line was just getting all over whichever quarterback they had in the game. And I, I talked about it before. And, I, you know, the equation's pretty simple. Pressure leads to mistakes. And it was very clear that you know getting some pressure without having to blitz, we had enough guys in coverage, and we we played a ton of different coverages. You know whether it was um, you know doing man to man or zone or, or two safeties deep, like whatever the coverage was, uh, it was confusing them, and we were getting enough pressure for them to turn the ball over and make mistakes.
0: One hundred percent, Andy. When you look at this defense. Going in against a weak offensive line, when you're able to not have to send those blitz packages as often and you can rely on those big bodies those hog mollies up front, as Dave Gettleman likes to say on both sides of the ball. You know, when you can let those those big bodies move and get after the quarterback, you can see how much it helps the secondary in being able to stay effective. And what I liked about this is that Betcher showed you he has an ability to, Adjust his style of defensive scheme based on the matchup. Now, by and large, he, he's going to be that, that blitz package guy, right? Because that is his style. And I think it's effective when you have the, the players that they have and who they're hoping to develop. It makes a ton of sense. But you also have to be able to take a look at your opponent and say, guess what? Those front three big bodies, they got to get there for us because that's how we shut down an offense that is a little depleted from a weapon standpoint and is certainly operating at a a lower level talent at the quarterback position. So I I love the way it looked. And I, the thing I want to know about here is Jenkins kind of has a bounce back game for him, right? Struggled a lot last week against Mike Evans. Now the matchups are a lot better for him this week. Makes it easier to have a better game. We haven't heard Baker get mentioned a lot on broadcast, right? These last two weeks, what do you think that is? is you know, because I, I haven't looked into what they're saying from his play, whether or not are they just not targeting him, or is he actually improving his gameplay? Do you have anything on that and that you can go as broad as you want across the defensive board here? But I'm just curious about Baker because I think he's such an important cog to our success throughout this season. It's interesting that you
1: say that because the way that I think about it, is a cornerback is kind of like a referee. You're, you're doing a good job when you don't hear their name ever brought up, mm-hmm. right? And and DeAndre Baker only had two total tackles. It didn't seem like they were really targeting him that much. And really, they, it seemed like they were focused on Janoris Jenkins. And, and I think that partially has to do with the wide receiving core of the Redskins is not great. Generally, uh, they were going to their first look and their first read. Terry McLaurin was out, so Paul Richardson was was the guy that they were kind of focusing on. Uh, you know, he ha- he ended up having three catches. Uh, the the team actually uh, was led by Chris Thompson with four catches. So mm-hmm. there wasn't really that much going on on the outside. But I got to give credit where credit's due. I was a little bit critical of Janoris Jenkins last week. He, it's not his fault that he's five ten, and and Mike Evans is six five. I think. That was, like we said, a, a, a tough matchup, but he deflected the pass early in the first quarter that Ryan Connolly intercepted. He came up with two interceptions later in the in, in the game. He had a great game. He played exceptionally well, and it just shows that if our defensive line can get some pressure and we can play a little bit more of those coverages where we have more people dropped uh, down into coverage that we have the ability to, to force some turnover. So Overall, I was pretty happy with how the defense played. Obviously, you only give up three points regardless of of what NFL quarterback or quarterbacks it was. Uh, The team had four interceptions in and three sacks. And I walked away feeling excited that we're moving in the right direction. What were you thinking?
0: It really just feels like another positive step. And I I know we all know who the opponent is here, but... You know, positive steps forward are, are, are always just that, right? It's moving in the right direction, like you said. You know, Jenkins comes back later in that game as well, attacks that ball at its highest point, and comes down with his second interception of the game. Which I really, I like the way that was a lot too, because it's a deep throw. He's got to keep pace with this wide receiver. Um, so I overall loved what I saw. Dexter Lawrence gets another sack in this one, and you you really just feel like this team is starting to gel. Before we move on from this from this review of, of the Redskins matchup, you mentioned something to me in our show notes uh, about the package one of the packages that they were playing where peppers came down out of the safety position and it actually involves another guy who Last week, on a big third down play, had a nice open field tackle, Michael Thomas, and he had a nice tackle again this week that uh, I think halted a drive as well for the Redskins. So I just wanted to make sure that we got into that because, again, it speaks to Betcher and his prowess to making these adjustments, and it also can be an indication about what we can expect a little bit more from the defense going forward, knowing that our linebacking core is going to be a bit of a fluid situation.
1: Well, and I think we need to give credit to Jabril Peppers, right? He was playing safety. He, he dropped down into into the linebacking position. He had an interception. He ran it back for a touchdown. He was all over the field, and and that's the type of playmaker that I think Gettleman has been thinking Jabril would be when he, you know he traded Odell. I, I gotta mm-hmm. give some credit that uh, he he looked great. He looked athletic and moving him around all over the field, especially. With Connolly injured, with Ogletree injured, uh, we're going to need that versatility in order
0: to be able to,
1: to figure things out in the linebacking core.
0: For sure. So I think we can leave this one there. It's a 24-3 victory for the New York football Giants. It's a division win, and it's also a game that gets them to 2-2 two and two and 500 on the season. And now we get to kind of get into what are some of the issues maybe coming out of that game. And then, of course, in a little bit, we'll be touching on the matchup ahead. One giant update. Okay, so as it always is in the NFL, week to week, you got to pay attention to who's coming and who's going on these rosters. Last two weeks, Ryan Connolly making some great plays. He comes in and replaces Ogletree last week. Really looks sharp, right? And, And even early in this game, looks great again. Off the tip from Jenkins, gets the pick. Unfortunately, suffers the torn ACL, and he'll be going on to IR for the Giants. And they did promote from the practice squad uh, Toa Effa, so he'll be replacing him, quote-unquote, in the linebacking core. But what else do we know in terms of roster moves, injury updates, that kind of stuff, Andy? What can you give me there?
1: Well, Toa Effa, just a side note, actually I think led the Giants in tackles in the preseason. He actually looked pretty athletic. I, I'm interested to see if they can uh, sneak him in and if he gets some playing time coming up against the Vikings. Oh, Big
0: Bushy. Big, bushy hair, right?
1: Yep, ex- exactly. Ah, See? that's my guy. Okay. There you go. So so <laughs> be, on, be on the lookout for the Troy Polamalu like hair from the linebacking that's core it. on Sunday, and that'll be uh, Toefa. Uh, but on the receiving side of things, the Giants cut both Benny Fowler and TJ Jones, and they activated Golden Tate, obviously, from his four-game suspension, which I found interesting when I read the headline, but – I don't know, Adam, were you that interested that
0: both Fowler and TJ Jones were cut? Well, honestly, simply... No, I wasn't. Um, Now, it's two parts. Going back to preseason play, and I'll mention it, when when I saw Alonzo Russell playing in the preseason, I had a conversation with a buddy that I've mentioned a couple times already on this podcast, Pizza Mike. He's a name that you may, we may get this guy on here at one point. He's a great pessimistic fan to just really pummel with positivity. So we talked about whether or not, Who do you do? You're going to keep Benny Fowler. You're going to keep TJ Jones, these kind of players. And I said, I was like, just give a young guy a chance, right? That's what I'd rather see in these scenarios. And obviously with the early suspension for Golden Tate, you knew you needed to have bodies there. And I can understand wanting to have a guy who was on the roster last year. So he understands the system, but you know, Fowler doesn't move the needle for me. So I'm actually happy to see him go out because it means that you're promoting Tatum, obviously. And I think the other indication is that Darius Slayton, coming back from his injury, I think he's shown enough already to this team and the coaching staff that they feel comfortable now utilizing him. So I think even if Fowler had been on the roster, Slayton was going to be above him on the depth chart within a week. So you're not really losing a lot. You're basically talking about letting go of your fourth or fifth receiver, probably your fifth receiver, even behind Latimer on the depth chart at that point. And from TJ Jones perspective, guess what? You're a special teamer. When you muff two fumbles and you barely you know, you're able to recover them, it doesn't cost your team in a blowout game. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna be looking on the waiver wire for yourself to get picked up because that's just not the way that you can stay on a roster.
1: And Golden Tate coming back from suspension, I'm very curious about this. I think he's highly motivated, he sounds excited. The Giants seem excited, and it does add an, another weapon, uh, You know, whether it be in the slot or, or the outside, depending on what they want to do with him and Sterling Shepard. Uh, but having Tate Shepard Ingram, uh, I, I'm feeling pretty good going into, into this week's matchup.
0: Hey, hey, hey now. Save that for the next segment, buddy. <laughs> Moving on. One giant matchup. And now we look ahead, Andy, to week number five. The Giants will be at home once again with a 1 o'clock matchup against the incoming Minnesota Vikings. And we talked about it in our previous look back at the Redskins game. Giants are improving offensively. They're going to be coming into this one ranking 6th overall in yards. They're 7th overall in passing, 8th overall in rushing. So very balanced in those areas. We mentioned it last week where their average points per game was a little bit low. Obviously, 31-point output is going to bring that up. They're now averaging just under 22, which is good for middle-of-the-road 16th. Opening thoughts as we look ahead here.
1: The Minnesota defense is pretty stout. Uh, they're sixth in the league in total yards a, uh, per game. Uh, you know, they're ninth, they're ninth in passing yards uh, allowed per game. They are going to be a very tough matchup uh, for Daniel Jones. Uh, going to be tougher than the Tampa Bay Bucks. Going to be tougher than the Washington Redskins. You know, Adam, this to me is actually the litmus test of where the Giants are for going to be for the season. I think Minnesota is one of those teams where they're kind of good, but they're not that good. And then they can look bad and they can have flashes of brilliance. And I really do think that this is the type of team that we should be measuring our, ourselves against.
0: Uh, what,
1: what were your thoughts on, on the Vikings?
0: I think your point's right. Coming into the season, you, I personally, I don't know about yourself, but I think a lot of people thought the Vikings were going to be a high-powered offense and they have this dominant defense. With a new offensive coordinator there now and a healthy cook, things have shifted for them. They've gone very run heavy and you know that's come at a detriment I think at times to this offense and made it a little tricky for them in games because it's hard to just switch on your offense or switch on your passing offense when you need it at a certain point. So for a team that again, you know they're only averaging 21 points a game, so they're they're right there as far as average goes with the Giants. And, you know, 24th in yards at 325, 31st in passing yards. They're almost dead last in passing yards. Now, of course, 155 yards a game is good for third in the NFL. But, you know, I just gave you the offense for the Giants. Don't you want to have balance? Wherever you're ranked, you want to have that balance. And I think right now that's what the Vikings are struggling with.
1: The Vikings have a very, very big and very expensive problem on their hands. And you you touched on it before. It is the passing attack. It is the passing offense. And more importantly, it's the quarterback. So in yeah. 2019, so far, uh, they keep a stat. Total QBR. It basically takes all the passing stats and rushing stats and takes uh, some of the different circumstances that are going on in, t- in, in the game into account. Kirk Cousins... Adam, if I had to ask you where he sits <laughs> in the list of total QBR, where does he rank number wise? what number would you say he is?
0: I know which way we're trending with this, so I'm gonna say, let's say he ranks uh 23rd. Kirk Cousins ranks 32nd.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. Do you yeah. know, who, you know I who's feel like that was a gimme? I should have. You know who's
1: 31? You know who's 31? <laughs> Luke Falk of the New York Jets is ranked wow. 31. So that just gives right. you an illustration of how poor the passing game has been and how poor the quarterback play has been for the Vikings. Side note, humble brag on the total QBR list, Daniel Jones just happens to be at number three behind Dak Prescott and Patrick Mahomes. So I'm not I'm not Oops. saying anything, but I'm I'm just saying.
0: Well, uh, you know what's interesting though about that stat that you give, it's that. It's not just about that their offense isn't moving the ball well through the passing game, right? It's actually much worse than that. It's that Kirk Cousins isn't effective in the opportunities he's getting. Now, you know, different quarterbacks need different things in order to get into rhythm. So it could be the lack of utilizing it. You know, Adam Thielen came out this week and all but said, hey, we got to be passing the ball. He's a wide receiver. You expect that. But, you know, even if it is about getting into a rhythm or not, when you're as high paid as Kirk Cousins is, you're not a game manager. You're supposed to be a game changer for your team. This makes it hard when we look at this game overall and try to figure out what we can expect in this matchup, right? You said it. It's a good litmus test for the Giants and what they can be this season. And I think depend. it all depends on how do we contain, quote unquote, Dalvin Cook, right? Can we control him in some capacity and then put Kirk Cousins in a position to make, get, like we did last week, put a quarterback in spots to make mistakes and capitalize on, on them when you get the opportunity? Because if you don't, then you could see the slow bleed where by the fourth quarter we find ourselves down by, you know, 10 points, maybe pushing towards 14, and, and the game is just getting a little bit out of reach.
1: Dalvin Cook is second in the NFL in rushing, and he's tied for first in the NFL and rushing touchdowns. He has been electric. And w- the biggest problem for the Vikings has been this kind of conflicting theoretical vision that Coach Mike Zimmer has with the construction of the roster and and the allocation of, of money and, and where you put things. You know, they, they pay Kirk Cousins guaranteed money. He's making almost $30 million a year. You pay Adam Thielen. You pay Stephon Diggs. And then you want to be a rushing team. And and it doesn't make sense to allocate all of your resources into, uh, you know, the passing attack when you're not a passing team. And I think we've kind of seen where the league is going. You do need a little bit of a balance, but it is becoming a passing league. And I, I I just wonder how long they can sustain going with Dalvin Cook. He looks great, and I understand wanting to keep possession and milk the clock, but... They need to, you know, if they're paying Kirk Cousins $30 million, they need to have a little bit more faith that he can move the ball down the field uh, with his arm rather than Dalvin Cook's legs.
0: Yeah, at some point, you got to put it in his hands. And, and for better or worse, you, you accept the results, I think. And when you're still losing some games while running the, while having a run heavy offense, then at some point, there has to be a break there in, in terms of what your strategy is. They're at a
1: crossroads. And this game, if the Giants win this game, I could see there starting to be a mutiny. I mean, Adam Thielen basically said, our quarterback needs to throw the ball better. And I can only imagine if they lose to the Giants, who were left for dead after the first two games of the season, if they, if they come to MetLife and, and and they throw up a goose egg, I could see heads starting to roll sooner rather than later there. But, yeah, let's let's talk a little bit more about the Giants' offense. So, I think the the most noteworthy thing this week is, is the Giants getting back Golden Tate. You know he's only a year removed from two straight thousand yard seasons. You know he he got bounced around uh, from a trade from Detroit to Philly last year. Any, any high level thoughts on on Golden Tate coming back to the lineup?
0: Yeah, I think that it is going to be huge, huge for this offense. Now I I was a little bit hesitant at the initial signing when they got Golden Tate, but. Seeing the way he looked in preseason, I think seeing him inside of this offense, the run after the catch ability, at the very least, what Golden Tate means is he's going to be occupying somebody, right? It's to, this can only open things up. Take away Benny Fowler and put in Golden Tate. That's you know, if you want to go apples to apples in this scenario, that's what you're getting from a Giants offensive standpoint, and. I think that you're going to see Daniel Jones, who looks like the kind of guy who works through those progressions, finds the route, and goes with it. He doesn't care about getting the ball to any specific player. He's going to have a field day from guys on this roster who are great route-running, positional, possession guys that also have shown an incredible ability, especially in Tate's case, to run after catch and give you big chunk plays off of timing routes and precision passing.
1: Daniel Jones is going to have to spread the ball around the the Minnesota defense is too good to key in on one guy, you know, they're, they're sixth in the league in, in, in yards allowed on defense. And it's going to be a a tough game for, for the giants. I think not having a dynamic player like Saquon in the lineup obviously hurts you. Wayne Gallman performed admirably in his place. I, I do think that not having someone as explosive as Saquon against the Redskins doesn't really show through as much as against a really good defense like the Vikings. So I'm a little bit concerned uh, about how that's going to play out. And knowing that they're a really good defense and and Daniel Jones has been a little bit turnover prone in his first two games, um, I'm concerned about winning the turnover battle and and making sure that we can keep possession and and sustain some drives.
0: Yeah, I think we've mostly covered everything here. And I will say – when I talk about what I think for this offense with Tate coming back and the wide receiving co- overall, that's for the long term of the season, right? In this upcoming game, obviously, there's going to be some difficulties for them. I don't expect necessarily Gallman to go off for 116 all-purpose yards and two touchdowns. It doesn't mean that they can't be effective, but I'll be curi- I'll actually be really curious to see in what ways they try to get creative. Because on a week-to-week basis, when you still don't have Barkley, I think that's what you're going to have to do, and the look is going to be, can we catch other teams off guard for a couple of drives early, maybe one late, and that's how we generate some extra points and some extra movement. That being said, we flip over just quickly, we're going to touch on this, the defensive side. For me, Andy, all I'm looking for is for them to continue to take steps forward, to hopefully see Betcher continue to be adaptable on a game by game basis and, and try to look for matchups that they can expose. And obviously we'll look to see some change over again in the linebacking core as Connolly goes down. So it'll be, you know, now the third straight week where someone new is going to be running that defensive unit at at the money backs, the Mike back position there. Any any quick thoughts on that?
1: Losing Connolly is a big loss in the middle. He's looked great since he's come in the last couple of games for the Giants, obviously forcing turnovers. Um, But next man up mentality, you know, Ogletree is a little dinged up right now. We're not exactly sure if he's going to play. Mayo came in and actually led the Giants in tackles in the last game. Um, So at least he got a little bit uh, of reps Uh against a a poor offense to kind of get his feet underneath him. But really, this is going to be all about Kirk Cousins. I I hate to keep going back to, to, to Cousins, but... You've got Thielen on the outside, who's a little bit of a bigger wide receiver. Diggs not, not as as big, but it's going to be how he can get the ball out to his playmakers and make plays. And as we've seen, you know when a quarterback can do that, like Dak Prescott did in Week One, like Jameis Winston did in in Week Three, uh, we're gonna be in trouble on the outside and, and if we're not going to be getting pressure without blitzing some of those linebackers we're going to be in trouble but ultimately it's it's coming down to, to Kirk and uh, I don't know uh, do you are, am I oversimplifying it too much
0: no uh, well I, you know and I think what goes in conjunction with that is probably because you you gave the perfect example right a Dak Prescott lights us up because our defense can't stop anything we can't get any pressure etc cetera, etc cetera. Kirk Cousins will, will look in that direction if we can't get that pressure. And then also, I think the value is going to be what our offense does, which helps keep the defense off the field, which helps keep them fresh, which means when you are on there, you know you only have to do so much on a given drive or over the course of a quarter, a half, a game. Moving on. One giant prediction. You know it's that time of the podcast, Andy. I want to know what you think's happening in this upcoming matchup at home against the Minnesota Vikings. But first, give me the line. Give me the over-under. Give me some qualifying ratios, numbers, aspects that I can put into my brain of a computer before I tell you what I'm thinking. All right,
1: Adam, let me hit you. So, the opening over-under on the game was 45-and-a-half. It has moved Whoa. over the last couple of days down to 44 and a half. So it's moved a full point down. People anticipating a little bit of a lower scoring game. I don't know if that was an indictment of of watching the, the Vikings uh, this weekend. Um, but then, interestingly enough, uh, the line opened at the New York Giants plus four. It has moved a full point and a half up. So the Giants are now getting five and a half points so so to me my, my early thoughts are I'm surprised the line is going lower and the Giants are getting more points that seems to be conflicting in how I would expect uh, some of the betters to be re- reacting uh, on the week three games what, what were your thoughts
0: for me I wonder what that expectation is I mean 40 you said 44 and a half 44 and a half the over under
1: yeah it's 44 and a half now
0: yeah, so you know, at forty-four and a half, I mean, you know, you're talking about being in the 24-21 range if it's a tight game, and then I guess if you're saying the Vikings go run heavy in this one, and it's it could be a thirty-one, you know, you keep talking thirty-one, fourteen easily, you can see these kind of numbers coming out. I just wonder what the expectations are, is it a get-off game for the offense for the Vikings in terms of passing or not? So I'm a little conflicted about how to kind of read that and the the push with the Giants getting more. I think, like you said, makes it seems conflicting, but... The betting odds and the, and
1: the betting money has actually been split 50-50 so far. So people are kind of saying it's a coin flip at those numbers, which is pretty surprising to me and and uh, we'll, we can kind of get into the our, our predictions um in a second do, do you want to talk a little bit about uh fantasy before we get into the final predictions is there, are there any players that you think are going to be emerging this week or, or people to look out for you know off the bat
0: for sure. I First of all, I have to acknowledge just to, to the fan base in general, I'm not a big bet line guy or over-under, so you'll probably notice that in most weeks. I just start to like get a little circular when we're discussing those things, and then I tend to just throw it back to Andy and see if he can wrap that up for me. So I feel like that just needs to be a disclaimer I put on this. But in terms of fantasy, I actually do have, in, in one of my leagues, I have Cousins and Thielen. I drafted them thinking, "What a tandem to have!" Thielen has actually been a, a pretty solid for the most part. Cousins has been a total disaster. It's why I, it's why I was glad I had Daniel Jones on my roster as well. It's why I went out and picked up Jacoby Brissett just to have some backup on it. So. For me, when I look at this game, I'm not hedging my bets and saying that Cousins turns this thing around, even just objectively. I will say, though, I think that Thielen can still have a big game. Even if the Giants' defense is playing well, he can still have a big game. A guy like Stefan Diggs, with that speed, getting over the top, he can go off, certainly. Obviously, Dalvin Cook is pretty much a matchup-proof play, and the Giants aren't a matchup where you'd be concerned with that. From the Giants' standpoint, it's, it's going to come down to if we can protect up front enough to give Daniel Jones the opportunity. But I don't know if there's anybody I'd really point to on the Giants. You know, I can see the Giants having a strong game from the receiving core, but I can also see it being kind of balanced, right, where that ball gets spread around, especially with Golden Tate back, and maybe you see guys with two, three, four catches apiece all in the 50 to 60, 70-yard range, but no one really breaking out. Do you go one way or the other on that kind of sentiment? Is there any Giants that you actually pull out and say you think that this could be a money play?
1: I think that Evan Ingram is the only player on the offense that I would say mm-hmm. is an absolute must-start uh, in fantasy. I think you probably picked up Jones on the waiver wire. You have another guy, uh, another quarterback on your bench. My recommendation is is to kind of play the matchups on this one. The Minnesota defense is, is pretty stout, and I, I'd be a little bit concerned uh, having having Jones in there. I think yeah, you need to wait and see – with the wide receiving core, with Golden Tate now back, uh, to find out how much of of the offense he's going to be a part of. St- I've loved Sterling Shepard so far this year, banging on his drum as much as humanly possible. I think rump a palm, yeah, exactly. <laughs> S- slam on that drum. I, but I, I, I am thinking that his target share is going to significantly diminish. Before, when he's competing uh, with targets with Benny Fowler. I think you kind of know Daniel Jones is looking over towards Sterling Shepard's way. I think now with a, uh, a comparable wide receiver on the outside or even in the slot like Golden Tate there, I think they're going to kind of be interchangeable in this, in this game. I, I think you got to kind of sit on this one for a week and, and, and let it marinate and see exactly how the giants look
0: in terms of, I think you're, I think you're right about Shepard and Tate and, and wanting to see how that impacts uh, Shepard's target share. The only thing I can say positively for that, and I probably, to your point, I mean, it's a tough matchup by the defense, so you might want to just hedge your bets and wait on Shepard for a week if you can. But I do think take coming back also means that hopefully being able to move players around the field, you can get Shepard on, uh, you know, the second cornerback for another team, or maybe you get him inside to the slot on occasion – I agree with you wholeheartedly, though, too. I think if you're going to play somebody, probably Evan Ingram falls into that sure thing kind of category with his speed, and he's probably going to have the best, quote-unquote, matchups across the board on the defense. That's my tidbit. That's my takeaway. Let's go where people want to know. Prediction time, buddy. What do you say, Andy? Give me, give me the outcome of this one. Are we, are we talking three-piece, three-piece and a biscuit for the old G-man, or is it a step back? Well— in
1: bowling lingo, it would be going for the turkey, right? Three strikes in a row? That's right. Um, I have been conflicted ever since uh, the end of the last game. You know, the, the Buccaneers' defense was so bad, and the Washington Redskins' team is so bad that I, I don't mm-hmm. know where this team is yet, and that's why this game is such a litmus test. The, the, what I will say is I read an interesting stat. I wish we were 3-2 instead of 2-2 two two going into this game because our good friend, Kirk Cousins, playing against teams with a winning record is 5-27 and 27 in his career. Wow. He is one of those guys that wins the games that he's supposed to. In any game where it gets a little tough, he doesn't. Right. The Giants being a 5.5-point underdog, it, it, it concerns me, I think, when you look at it there's two things that that the vikings do exceptionally well and that's rush the football and play good defense uh, i like those two things very much and if i hate to, i hate to say it i hate to do it but i think this is going to be a 21 oh 17 vikings okay. victory hey.
0: Yeah, so, sorry, I, listen, I'll cut you off because I'm tired of the tap dancing, buddy. No, I think, but I could see you go, I can see you trending in that direction. I'm actually, I'm, I'll say I'm a little bit surprised. I think that it, it speaks to your confidence, though, in this team, at least going forward, because you're saying 21-17, you're telling me that the Giants are in this game, right? So, unless, let me ask you, just qualify this real quick. Are you saying it's 21-10 and the Giants get a late touchdown that's meaningless? Or do you think this really is, it's 21-17 and... The, the Vikings managed to run the clock out or we just can't quite get there
1: I think it's going to be a relatively competitive game for the most part I, I just think uh, yeah. you know having Dalvin cook and having a really good defense just kind of gives you that extra you know and maybe it's the Giants are winning 17-14 and there's a score in the third quarter by by the Vikings to make it 2117 the Giants can't score I'm, I'm, I'm just seeing it as one of those back and forth games it's going to be tough to put up a lot of points against the Vikings defense. Uh and I think they're as of right now I got it 21-17. Adam Adam okay. bring it back for all Giants fans. What do you got?
0: Yeah, and I think I feel like <laughs> I may play this role more often than not as as the season goes along. There's going to be some some games where I clear cut think the Giants are, are are not going to come out victorious. I'm going to You know what? Man, I'm going to ride the train a little bit here and I really I'm going to say the Giants can can hold them defensively. And I'm going to think that our defensive line, which has been showing improvement, I think that they're going to maybe be able to get after Cousins a little bit and, and force a mistake. And it's going to come down to one of those key plays where there's an interception opportunity. And if if Peppers doesn't come down with it over the middle, well, then that's the the straw that ends up breaking the back you know, in, in that scenario because you're going to need to turn field position at some point in this one. I also am optimistic that with Tate back, this offense is going to be, I'm not going to say dynamic, but I just think that we're going to be able to move the ball somewhat effectively. And same thing, it's going to come down to, do you get that touchdown instead of that field goal? And of paramount importance is, does Daniel Jones clean it up? Do even Gallman, Hilleman, you know, no turnovers. If the Giants can play a turnover-free game, then I think it. then I think you have a real chance to take this one. I'm gonna go bold. I want the season series lead on the podcast. We're we're, we're neck and neck right now. I'm gonna put this one at oof, good lord! I'm gonna go 24-21 New York Football Giants. It's ask. It's a big ask to get 24 points from against this Vikings defense. I think that's what it's gonna take. So that's where my prediction has to go. I, I can't call for a 17-10, you know, Giants win because we don't have. I don't think we have that. So. New York football Giants get to 3-2. and
1: Interestingly enough, we both have the Vikings putting up 21 points.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you're 100%. So, I think that's why I kind of asked you that question because, to me, maybe it is. 21-17, late, and it comes down to Daniel Jones, that offense, with an opportunity late in the game to have a drive they put together a drive and score a touchdown. We win it. You know, maybe you win it walking away last second opportunity. Um, So I, I I think we're pretty much, we're very close. And I'm just calling for that one big play that maybe gets us over the top late in this one, where then, even if the Vikings have time, go ahead and switch gears and become pass heavy. Like you haven't been. And hopefully our defense can hold.
1: I I feel like the crowd is going to have some hope. It's, nice it's going to be nice weather down at what i still like to call giant stadium i think the crowd is going to be into it they're going to be excited and i wouldn't be surprised if, if that plays a factor in the game too so i am hoping this week that i'm wrong adam but uh i guess we'll find out on sunday <laughs> yeah
0: fingers crossed friends one giant outro and that's it folks Another pa- podcast, another podcast, another podcast in the pad bag. The point is we're wrapping this one up, everybody. Very exciting news that as of this podcast, we are now going to be also available on Google Podcasts and also Pocket Casts to go along with Anchor FM with Spotify. So the rollout continues. We promised you we would be expanding, and we are delivering on that. Andy, I'm too hot. We got to stop.
1: Yes, and...
0: Talk about our predictions.
1: Give us some feedback on social media, as Adam talked about before. But ultimately, what's important is getting a giant W against the Vikings. Let's go Big Blue.
0: See you next week.